0: Uh, The story from Luke today that Aaron read to us is one of the wild stories that happens in the days following the resurrection of Jesus. Last week, we talked about the wild story of Thomas, Uh, and this week we have a story about a road, and um, when I think about this journey to Emmaus, my mind instantly goes to road trips, which I love, I think. Like which I kind of love. I I say that I love them. And in my mind, I love them. In my mind, they're so dreamy and they're so wonderful. And they have really good snacks and really good soundtracks. And it's like you're on the open road with the windows rolled down. And and when you stop, you make pit stops. There's like interesting stories and characters that show up along the way. Uh, But reality is um, that road trips are not super magical like the movies in, in, in real life and in person. Um or, or like the dream that lives in my brain. Uh, They're always, road trips are always longer than we expect them to be. Uh, It turns out that it's really loud to roll down your windows and drive on a highway or an interstate. And uh, these days, no one wants to listen to the music that I want to anymore in my car. Uh, And then um, anytime I'm on a road trip, I have flashbacks to, uh, as a kid, we took um, a couple of cross country road trips, like drove from Tennessee to Colorado. And um, when we would stop for snacks, my dad would only buy us raisin cakes. That was our only option was uh, he said, do you want a snack? And we would say, yes. And he would say, you can get a raisin cake and nothing else. And that is not dreamy because raisin cakes are not magical. Um, I remember one time on one of those cross country trips, he added an additional snack. So we had a second choice. It wasn't just raisin cakes, but we could also get corn nuts, which I don't even know what those are. Like they're really gross. So anyway, uh, on this road trip that we're reading about today, uh, Luke tells us that two of Jesus's followers were walking uh, on the road. One, is named Cleopas, uh, and the other doesn't have a name. Uh, many scholars believe that it's most likely the wife of Cleopas, uh, which is a soapbox for another day. Um, but we aren't sure because the other person isn't named, which is kind of the pits. I I would think. I mean, you make it into the Bible, but you're just known as other person. That kind of stinks. But anyway, two people uh, are are walking away from Jerusalem, where all of the action had been, um, where the things that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks have taken place, where Jesus entered into town riding on a donkey, where he was tried and killed and then buried, where the disciples are hiding in a room waiting for news about what comes next on this journey. And and so these two uh, folks, they are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which Luke tells us is about seven miles. And uh, Luke in his story, he tells us that they are talking about everything that's transpired over the last week and a half-ish. And he doesn't exactly tell us what they're talking about at first, but judging from the rest of the story and the stories of the days leading up to this moment, I think we probably have an idea. Uh, My guess is, that Cleopas and his friend are walking home uh, disappointed. They're walking home probably overwhelmed by the weight of wrong assumptions. They, they'd they been following Jesus, Luke tells us. They they followed Jesus. They believed him to be the Messiah. And then the whole thing like glows up in flames, essentially, they, the movement that they had invested their hope in seemed to have failed completely. I, I imagine that they're walking with a soul-crushing amount of disappointment disappointment and confusion and fear. And I've never been to Jerusalem. Uh, Our friend at Springbrook Emily Mantooth has, and she has the best pictures and the best stories, but I've never been. I've never um, walked the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but gosh, I have been on roads like the one that they're walking on. I think we all have. I have definitely walked the road of soul-crushing disappointment. Frederick Buechner, uh, who we love, says that Emmaus for us is wherever we go to forget. It is the road that we walk on when grief sets in over what we've lost. It's the road we take when the bottom falls out on hope in our lives. Emmaus is our road when we have lost something or someone that we love, a job, a loved one, a dream, a relationship, health, ours or someone else's. It's a road of confusion and disappointment and sadness and grief and loss. It's the road that we follow back to the quiet car or the lonely dinner or the empty house, back to the usual life that feels like it will never feel usual again. I think most of us have probably walked on a road like this before. So, for seven miles, Cleopas and his companion, they walk. And Luke tells us uh, what is a stranger to them appears and joins them on the road. And the stranger who they don't recognize as Jesus, he says, what are you talking about so intensely? What are you talking about with so much heart? Luke tells us that Cleopas looks at the man with great sadness Sad, I'm sure, for what they've lost. Sad for the story that had wrecked their lives, that, it, that, that the, the story that had wrecked their lives didn't reach as far as they imagined it would. Sad uh, to have to relive the moments telling them to someone else, but uh, they keep walking and they tell him the story. And mile after mile, these two walk back through the door that shattered their hopes they tell the stranger about Jesus, who he is and what he did. They say uh, this haunting line: "They say we had hoped he was the one. We had hoped he was the one who would set us free. We had hoped." Barbara Brown Taylor says that uh, that uh, hope in the past tense is one of the saddest sounds a human being can make. We had hoped. Every time I read that line, I can feel it in me. We had hoped, hoped that this was the person, the house, the job, the cure, the point that things would turn around. For me, it takes me uh, back. I remember sitting in an uncomfortable chair in a cold room hearing uh, that the heart surgery my one-year-old was a few hours into didn't work. The surgeon looked us in the eye and said, we had hoped we could fix the extra pathway. Hoped to me, it feels like hospital waiting rooms. Emmaus feels like the drive home, begging God to undo uh, what had been done or to do what had been left undone. Some of us have uttered these words maybe in the last few weeks. Uh, We had hoped that schools would go back in session, even just for a few weeks foreclosure. We had hoped to avoid the death and the trauma of this virus that we saw in China and Italy and other countries. We had hoped. Past tense hope has at one time or another made its way into all of us. Cleopas and his companion, they, they tell Jesus the story of when their hope fizzled out. They say that there were rumors that Jesus was no longer dead, that he'd appeared to Mary and he'd appeared to Peter and the other kind of like tiny sparks of hope. But, but in this moment, their actions speak louder than their words do because these two are walking away from Jerusalem, not toward it. If there was any chance that they believed the rumors that Jesus was alive, just maybe they wouldn't have been walking away. They would have stayed just like Thomas last week. They would have stayed to just maybe get to see with their own eyes and hear with their own ears and touch with their own hands, the Jesus who was alive. They are walking seven miles in the opposite direction because past tense hope feels more true and healing to them than risking it in the present tense again. And gosh, that's a familiar feeling. The stranger uh, Jesus, who they think is still a stranger, the stranger, he listens to their story. And, and then as they continue toward Emmaus, he tells them a story of his own. The stranger, he retells them the story that they thought was finished and over, the story that they, they thought that they knew. Cleopas and his friend were in the very presence of resurrection and they have no idea in this moment. And as Jesus talks to them, He picks up the bits and pieces of their conversation and he fits them into the greater story of the scriptures. Jesus, in these moments, as he unpacks the scriptures, he takes the loss and the hope and the bewilderment and the confusion in Cleopas and his companion, and he weaves it into the story of the unwavering faithfulness of God. He doesn't deny their grief or what feels hopeless to them. Instead, he places it within the context of a story bigger and greater than what they're able to see in the moment. A story that's bigger than their feelings. Uh, this is what counseling feels like to me. My counseling team, and yes, I require a team of therapists uh, to stay sane, semi-sane. Um, counseling to me, uh, my, my, my counseling team, they, they spend so much time doing what Jesus does in these moments with Cleopas. Uh, with firm gentleness, they dare me to take a step back. They offer me a wider view of what's right in front of my face. There's a lot going on in our world right now. And there are a lot of very loud voices, screaming fear and hopelessness and panic and confusion into our ears and our heads and our hearts. And they don't even agree with each other. As soon as I feel like I know what to be afraid of, another voice comes on uh, screaming at me, telling me to fear the opposite things. This, This is where the Bible as a big and wide story is a really good and helpful thing. Uh, From beginning to end, the scriptures tell the story of the God who comes after his people, who comes after his people in the middle of their madness, the God of rescue and the God of redemption and unwavering faithfulness. The Bible, it isn't a story about how bad things never happen to people who make good choices. That's truly a terrible way to read or interpret the scriptures. The Bible instead, the Bible is a book full of wild and terrible things. And the God who does not abandon people in them, the God who can make beauty out of ashes, it is always about the God of the resurrection who can be found blowing life into places long devastated, places dead within us. In the message version of the Bible, Eugene Peterson uses different wording as Jesus responds to Cleopas and his companion. Instead of calling them foolish people, Peterson translates it slow hearted people. This got me this week. Uh, When I walk disenchanting roads, roads full of hurt and pain and doubt and confusion and fear, I so often, almost always walk as a slow hearted person, slow hearted, overwhelmed by what's right in front of my face, missing that the stranger I walk with is the resurrected Jesus, driven by whatever feeling is loudest in me. Slow hearted and slow to take a step back and take a wider view of a bigger story than me. A story of a God faithful to his people always and present in their pain. I think we miss that in the story of God a lot. We think that it's a story about how uh, to keep our lives from pain or hurt or disappointment. But the story of God is not that nothing bad ever happens. The story is that he has never left us alone on the road and that the worst thing is not the final thing. The uh, often quoted around here and brilliant priest Barbara Brown Taylor says it like this. She says this. Jesus, the Christ, is not the undefeated champion. He is the suffering servant, the broken one, who comes into his glory with his wounds still visible. Those hurt places are the proof that he is who he says he is, because the way you recognize Christ and his followers is not by their muscles, but by their scars." How often I have missed Jesus who comes into glory with his wounds still visible. Jesus who after his resurrection shows up over and over again to the confused and the disenchanted and the disappointed ones and who walks not just ahead of us or behind us, but with us telling the story of life in the kingdom, life where the worst thing isn't the final thing. So uh, here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take a few minutes and make room to not miss that story, to to make room for our slow hearts, Uh, the story of Jesus, the story of hope, to make room for it. Uh, And and sometimes to make room for that, it takes a a quiet minute in a very loud world. So we're going to try to do that. Uh, Every week in our regular service when we meet together, uh, we we do this. We take a few minutes to be quiet and to reflect. We call it Selah. Um, we stole it from the Psalms, not Kanye West. That joke will never get old. Uh, only two people get it, but I say it all the time. Um, so basically, Selah in the Psalms, it means um, it, it's essentially like a, a breath or a holy pause. It's, it's kind of saying, don't move on too quickly from this moment. Sit here in this moment. Let it take root in you. And um, so for you right now, quiet might be really easy, maybe uh, too easy. Uh, And for you right now, quiet might feel like the most impossible thing. Maybe you've already yelled at your kids 10 times uh, to listen to my sermon. Uh, That has certainly been our experiences on a Sunday morning. Um, But we're going to try. We're going to try to be quiet just for a minute. And what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a few verses from a psalm out loud for our Salah today. And so if it helps to follow along, those verses will be in the notes uh, section. And so I'm just going to read it and we will trust God's spirit to show up and help us take a step back and tell us whatever it is that we need to hear today. So let's read from Psalm 116, Uh, I'm going to read verses 12 to 19. Then I called on the name of the Lord, please Lord, save me. What can I offer the Lord for all he has done for me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and praise the Lord's name for saving me. I will keep my promises to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. The Lord cares deeply when his loved ones die. O Lord, I am your servant. Yes, I am your servant born into your household. You have freed me from my chains. I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of his people. In the house of the Lord, in the heart of Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. Amen.